Welcome to Facebook Live today. I thank you so much for joining me. Before I begin the message today, I just want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a prosperous and a glorious New Year. We're going to continue and hopefully finish today on Judges chapter 6, talking about Israel and the enemies that came up against them, and also talking about the allegorical reality of Gideon. What I want to do this week as we finish this up is go a little deeper into the allegorical reality. Last week I did not do that too much because I really wanted to just introduce the meanings of Israel, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the people of the East. But today I want to go strictly into the allegorical reality and how it applies to us in the lovely here and now. If you just stick with historicity, it was just about a people in our mind. But if we see the allegorical reality, we come to reason, we come to understand that it is happening. It didn't just happen. It is happening within a people today. So what we saw last week was that Israel went through seven cycles of defeat and victory and defeat and victory for seven years. They had fruit that was perhaps here today and gone tomorrow, but no real fruit that was lasting. And so Gideon gets a word of the Lord how to bring deliverance to these people. And this is what we see today. There's an angelic ministry of light and fire that are showing people the importance of drawing out of the right side, yielding the left side, and drawing out of the Christ mind or the realm of spirit, and joining the masculine principle together with the feminine principle, the mind of the womb, or the consciousness, I should say, awareness of the womb. Now, what I want to establish, first of all, is what Paul the Apostle had to say about the true Israel of God. I'm not going to read there, but in Romans chapter 2, this is where Paul the Apostle made the statement that not all that were of Israel are Israel. What did he mean by that? He meant and he stated that a people who have circumcision or who are circumcised, which had nothing to do with the foreskin of an organ being you know, cut off and removed, but had to do with yielding the left side to the right side. That's true circumcision. And he said, those people's praise is not of man, but it is of God. And so it's taking, circumcision is taking the natural intellect, the human reasoning and logic, yielding it to, giving it up, yielding it to the Christ mind. And that's what Paul designated as a true Jew as. It's a spiritual Jew or a spiritual Israel. Now, as we looked at the Midianites, let me say this very strongly. I know this is kind of strong, but remember, we're applying this allegorically. The Midianites were not a group of people. The Amalekites were not a group of people. The people of the East were not a group of people. The Midianites simply mean, as we look at it allegorically, strife. It means fighting and warring. It's like David had a warring mentality, so he could not build the house of God. Solomon, his son, which means peace, could build it. So the Midianites simply represent a fighting, a warring mentality. And I gave the example last week of binding, loosing, and denying, and fighting, trying to get things. It's asking God for things that we already have in seed form, rather than realizing and resting. See, because rest is not a passive thing. 
Rest is realizing and resting in that realization. So the, the Amalekites then, after the Midianites, represent valley dwellers. In other words, it's those that take thought. When Jesus said, take no thought for what you're going to eat, wear, drink, and so forth, valley dwellers are those who dwell in the low lands as far as their awareness is concerned. They're not setting their affection on things above, but they're setting their affection on things below. Then lastly, we looked at the east that came against Israel and caused them to be impoverished. And east there, once again, if we're looking at this allegorically, does not designate a people, but east means the dawning of the new day. East means the dawning of the new day. Now, the dawning of the new day and enlightenment, which is what the east means, challenged Israel? Yes, it did. Well, how can the east challenge a people? How can enlightenment challenge us? Well, when we are in strife, when we are in low thinking, then what is happening is the enlightenment that we normally would be operating in is challenged from flowing within our lives. Low thinking, a fighting mentality, then is challenged then by the East or challenged then by the enlightenment. In other words, we're not flowing in the enlightenment at that time. We haven't activated the East or the enlightenment or the right side. And we talked about you know, the north being Dan, which represents emotions. The west being Ephraim, representing natural intellect, human reasoning, and logic. We talked about Reuben being in the south, that it represents the physical or the five-sense realm. But Judah, send Judah first, Judah was on the right or on the east, and east means the dawning of the new day. And it designates drawing our thoughts out of the Christ mind or the realm of spirit, rather than judging things by the seeing of the eyes, the hearing of the ears, and the natural, but it's judging righteous judgment. It's discerning properly. Now, it says that they went through these seven cycles for seven years, and of course, seven we know means complete and fullness, but in this case, seven means divine intervention. We need a divine intervention when we are tempted by strife, when we are challenged by low thinking, when we are challenged then by the enlightenment that we're not involving ourselves in, we need a divine intervention. And we know that that divine intervention has been given to us. The grace of God is what enables us to yield the left side and to join the left side with the right side or think out of the Christ mind. Now remember I also shared with you that Gideon means to destroy and to cut asunder. So you see, when we're challenged by strife, when we're challenged by low thinking, when the enlightenment is not being activated and we're challenged by no enlightenment in our lives, then what happens is Gideon, which means to destroy or to cut down, is raised up within us and encourages us to once again get back to the right side. You know, I find myself sometimes when I'm thinking from the left side of intellect and reasoning and logic, sometimes I'll say out loud, out loud, get back to the right side, and I'll kind of tilt my head to the right side. I literally do that. And it causes me to really be able to, it's amazing what it does, but it causes you to be able to begin to change the direction of your thoughts. So strife is destroyed as Gideon raises up. The low thoughts are destroyed as Gideon raises up on the inside of us and encourages us to get back to the right side. 
Now, in verse 2, we find something very interesting here. And it says there in Judges 6, verse 2, And the hand of Midian, again, Midianites are meaning strife, warring, and fighting mentality, prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens. Now, dens means a fissure, F-I-S-S-U-R-E, or it means to divide, which are in the mountains, caves, which, are, which mean dark caverns or the ignorance, and strongholds, which means vain imagination. So these dens and these caves and these strongholds here represent low thoughts lodging not only in our conscious mind, but eventually taking up a place in the subconscious mind. Now, next week we're going to, Lord willing, get into the three places that thoughts flow from. And I'm going to be talking about the superconscious. What is the superconsciousness? But it's the right side of the Christ mind. We take those thoughts and we plant them into the individual consciousness or individual awareness. And eventually those thoughts are lodged within the subconscious. When they're lodged within the subconscious, we can do things in a negative or a positive way that we hadn't really planned to do. As a matter of fact, Paul the Apostle said in Romans 7, 17 that he found himself doing what he didn't want to do and not doing what he wanted to do. Could it be that the thoughts that were sown into the individual awareness found a lodging place in the subconscious? And the subconscious can't think on its own. In the first six years of our life, our subconscious was developed because our conscious mind was not you know, flowing too much. And so the subconscious whether they be negative or positive thoughts were deposited into the subconscious and out of the subconscious people do things by rote i believe it's the place where scripture says in the abundance of the heart out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks i believe we speak things and sometimes we say where did that come from it bypassed our mind it came out of the subconscious so we're going to be dealing with that beginning next week lord willing now in verse 4 of judges chapter 6 and this is where we left off last week it says, And the Lord said unto him, unto Gideon, this was the angel of the Lord, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Now, let me ask the question, who's the one man? Well, Christ is many-membered man. So it's the Christ, see the right side, the Christ mind or the realm of spirit then, that swallows up all of the Midianite, the fighting, the warring mentality and all of the, the Amalekites, all of the low thoughts, they're swallowed up as we draw from the right side. And then notice in verses 17 and 18, it says, And he, speaking of Gideon, said unto him, the angel of the Lord, If I now have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. You know, and Gideon, throughout this whole scenario, he was doubting that he was hearing words of the Lord. He, you know, he put fleeces out. He wanted to see signs and so forth. But eventually he came to the place where he believed it. Verse 18 says, Depart not hence. This is Gideon. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present. It was customary for them to bring presents when they had an angelic presence or, or the Lord spoke to them or they received revelation. They'd always offer some kind of a present. So verse 18 again, Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. 
And he, the angel of the Lord, said, I will tarry until thou come again. Now, this word present in many of your better Bibles, in the margin of those Bibles, many times it'll say that the present was a bread offering, which in Leviticus chapter 2 was described as a meat offering or a meal offering. And of course, I believe that Jesus became this offering not only when he went to the cross, but when he came here, left the realms of glory and became man. He became this bread offering or he became this meat or this meal offering. But let me take that a little bit further and apply it allegorically to us because scripture calls us bread. We are bread. The body of Christ is bread also. Now the whole world is actually, but they're just not subjectively seeing that at this time. And neither are many of the uh, Christians today realizing that what is said of Jesus, Christ is said of us. But now it's us as well, because listen, not only did Jesus come here righteous, not only can we read about the righteous earth walk of Jesus, but we came here holy. We came here righteous. We didn't fall in Adam. I put a post on just not too long ago today, and I said in the post that to say that we were in Adam or when Adam fell, we fell, is like saying the devil made me do it. You see, we didn't fall. when we, we did not fall when Adam fell. I mean, what kind of a God would that be to allow what someone else did to fall upon us or cause us to inherit that? No, it was when we were old enough or able to embrace truth or religion, we embraced more religion than truth. We got that from our parents or grandparents or schools, government, and especially from the religious church world. But what we have to understand is Christ. This one man is what? Christ... As us, Christ is a many-membered man, and he was the bread offering and the meal offering because he's the bread of life, and we also, being the bread of life to others, are the meal offering as well. Now, let me say something about bread, because when they would make bread, and, and it's true today, too, if you make bread, you have to knead that bread, and you have to bake it in heat. And so what does that represent? That represents to us taking the 10% but they say that, of course, that percentage has changed now. But they used to say that we use about 10% of our brain. So to knead the bread and to bake the bread, we offer the 10%, the tithe, if you will, of the left side. We yield that. We give that up. So this is why one of the reasons the scripture says that we become an offering. Uh, we'll talk about Romans 12 a little bit later, how that we become a living sacrifice. But scripture tells us we are a sweet-smelling savor unto him, unto the Lord. Why? Because, listen, there's nothing that worships him more. There is nothing that is a sweet smell to him any more than us yielding the left side, our own intellect, human reasoning and logic, even five senses, not being led by five senses in and of itself, but being led by the Christ mind. There's nothing that that brings joy to the Father or is a greater worship unto him than yielding the left to the right side. Then verse 19 says, And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of ephod of flour, of an ephod of flour. The flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him, unto the angel of the Lord, under the oak and presented it. 
Now, the kid here can represent sin. Now, sin is not behavioral actions. Sin is simply mistaken identity. And we know that that mistaken identity, sin was exposed at the cross. Sin was exposed by the death of Jesus, and the resurrection revealed the truth that was always the truth about us. And so this kid represents the mistaken identity. The unleavened cakes there has to do with getting rid of that mistaken identity. But listen, how do we get rid of the mistaken identity? It is as we take the left side, which comes up with all of that garbage, that we came here as a sinner, we came here unholy, we came here this, that, or the other. As we yield that 10% or that left side, we give the tithe, then what happens is the mistaken identity is swallowed up. Now, this is a gift. We need to understand that grace is a gift that is given to us. And it is only by the grace of God that we have been enabled. It means divine enablement. It doesn't mean that it's an undeserved gift. You know, if it's an undeserved gift, then something's wrong here. We didn't come here in Christ. I wouldn't get my children or grandchildren a Christmas gift and say, well, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you. Grace is unearned. That's what the scripture says in the book of Galatians and in Romans. Grace, the gift of grace is not earned. We didn't do anything to earn it. But listen, the grace of God is God's divine enablement that has been given to us to cause us to be able to be empowered to yield the left side to the right side. Now, remember David in the Old Testament when he had sinned against Bathsheba and then had her husband killed? When he went to God in a remorseful attitude, he did not say, Lord, I know you don't want an animal sacrifice. I know you don't want me to slay a bullock or a sin offering. I know you don't want that. But what you desire is merely the cup of salvation. Now, what is the cup of salvation? The cup of salvation is yielding the left to the right. It is realizing that our self-righteousness and works, sweat and works, that come from the left side are not going to cut it with our Father. That we must trust in what has already been done. We must trust that the death of Christ exposed the lies and have those lies exposed and the resurrection revealed the truth. One of the meanings of resurrection is to gather our faculties and that's what we're doing when we yield the left side to the right side. We're causing the masculine principle of the Christ, feminine principle of our individual awareness to become one. And so we're yielding, and that's what this is. That's what the cup of salvation is. It's yielding the left side, trusting that what was done in the death, burial, resurrection, we had nothing to do with. What was done where grace is concerned, we didn't do anything to deserve it or to earn it whatsoever. But we have been given this gift of divine enablement where we can, by the grace of God, yield the left side to the right side. And it's not always easy to do, especially when we've had a lot of upbringing of teaching in religiosity. You know, because our left side will try to conjure up all kinds of things to do, just like Adam. He thought he could do something to be like God, but he was already in the image of his father. And so that came out of the left side. He began to mull over in his left side, in his brain, if you will, in his natural intellect and human reasoning and logic that, well, maybe what God is saying to me is, is not the truth. Maybe he's trying to trick me here or something. 
So we are empowered by the grace of God to, to yield the left side to the right side. And as I said, that's the cup of offering. And in fact, when we get to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, offering our body a living sacrifice, he says that's your reasonable service. Oh, that's the least you can do. That's the least that you can do. Now notice what he goes on to say in verse 20. And the angel of God said unto him, unto Gideon, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he, Gideon, did so. So what this indicates here is us taking the flesh. See, because when you're thinking out of human reasoning and logic and natural intellect, that constitutes the flesh. Now, Paul the Apostle in Galatians also called living by the law flesh. But this is flesh as well when we're living from the left side. So he's, this is indicating where the angel says to Gideon, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And so Gideon did. So it indicates our taking of the flesh, reasoning, logic, natural intellect, and simply pouring it out as an offering or yielding it unto the right side. And you see, where it talks about and lay them upon this rock, Jesus gave a parable about building our house upon the sand or the rock. This is building our house upon the rock. The rock is the right side. Now, in this series, we also showed how the rock or the stone designates the pineal, but we're not going to get into that today. So building our house upon the rock is building up on the right side, yielding the left to the right side. Then verse 21 says, Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now, the Hebrew word for touched here, where it says, and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose up a fire out of the rock. The word touched here means to smite. So what are we doing when we yield the left side? We're causing the right side, the Christ, to smite the natural intellect, the human reasoning, and the logic. And the angel here, where it says the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh, the angel of the Lord represents a message, a messenger with a message. You see, so it's the message that comes from the Christ from the right side that touches the flesh and causes the fire to come out of the rock or the right side and burn up or swallow up, if you will, all of the thoughts that come from religion or come from the left side. All of the thoughts that come from the lower thoughts, from that which the Amalekites represent. Now, this angel, as I said, represents a message. And so this angel of the Lord really was bringing a word to Gideon how to deliver Israel out of the Amalekites and the Midianites and the people of the east. Now, let me just say it this way. There are messengers today of fire and light. Some people call them a first fruit people. Some people call them pioneers. But what are they doing but showing people the importance of living by the Spirit, living by the Christ mind, as opposed to drawing or living out of the left side. And an angel represents not only a messenger, but more specifically a message that comes from the east, the dawning of the new day, or the enlightenment. 
I believe it's a ministry for a ministry of a withered hand. And there are many today in ministry that have a withered hand that need to be taught some things properly. I remember many years ago, probably 40 or more years ago, I received a prophetic word through someone that said that I was going to be a teacher to teach teachers to teach teachers to teach the kingdom. And that is exactly what has transpired in my life for the last 40 plus years in ministry, to teach teachers to teach teachers to teach teachers to teach the kingdom. Now, in verse 22 of Judges 6, it states there, And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, the one that was speaking unto him, Gideon said, At last, at last, OMG, O my Lord, he said, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. Now, he was scared, really. And he was told later to fear not. Because, you know, in Exodus, I think it's chapter 33, Moses said, you, no man can see God face to face and live. So, you know, Gideon didn't know, but maybe he would fall over dead. Now, there are other experiences that we can see, though, in the Word of God where people saw face to face and didn't fall over dead. For example, in Genesis 32, that is where Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, actually I think his name was Israel all along, he just didn't know it and wasn't aware of it, so he acted like a schnook, he acted like a Jacob, like a deceiver and a supplanter, but he had an experience where he saw God face to face, he named the place Peniel, which really translates out to be pineal, it has to do with the pineal, or has to do with seeing with a single eye. Then we can also see in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, where it states that a people are no longer going to see through a glass darkly, but they're going to see face to face. And face to face literally means face into face. Face into face, which means one sees their oneness. We see our oneness when we see face into face. We see at the level of spirit. Like John in the book of Revelation, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And that wasn't a certain day of the week. It means he had an experience. He saw face to face. He was in the day of the Lord or the Lord's day, which means he saw on the level of spirit. And that's face into face. It also means they see with a single eye. And the pineal eventually gets enlightened, which activates the pituitary. And then they begin to flow in their land with milk and honey. That's really what that means allegorically. So they see with the eye of spirit. The pineal is activated. It affects the pituitary. And then a people are beginning to flow with milk and honey. Their land is flowing with milk and honey. Then in verse 23 of Judges chapter 6, it says, And the Lord said unto him, this is where he's telling him not to fear because he saw God face to face and he was fearful that he would fall over dead. The Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, for thou shalt not die. Now, let me say this. There is something that does die. There is something that experiences a sort of a death or a consuming or an end when we see him face to face or face into face. 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about us seeing him with open face and we're changed. Where are we changed? In our awareness. So you see, Gideon was told not to fear that he was not going to die physically, but now there were some thoughts in his mind or in his awareness of the left side that had to go through a death. In other words, had to be swallowed up. They had to be no more. He had to come to the end of himself because remember, he thought that he 
you know, when, when God said to him, you found favor, you have favor, Gideon, he's probably looked behind him and said, who, me? I'm the poorest of my family. I'm the least in Israel and so forth. But anyhow, certain mind, there are certain things that do have sort of a death. We don't crucify, you know, the flesh. We don't die to self in that sense because we already did. But there are some thoughts that come to the end of themselves. There are some thoughts that are burned up or some thoughts that are consumed as we yield to the right side, as we yield the left to the right side and begin to have the thoughts that are of a higher consciousness. Now, then verse 24 says, Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet an Ophrah of the Abarizarites. So every time, listen, every time we offer the left side, what are we doing? We are worshiping the Lord. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is to ascertain, to ask and receive the truth. Praise is to be able to repeat that truth. And I love that because worship is not just lifting hands and singing songs. I mean, that can be a part of it. And we can have some awesome experiences through that. And, and we do do that. But worship is a lifestyle. It's a way of life lived unto him. And it's exactly like Jesus said when he said, follow me. He didn't ever say we're to worship him. He said, follow me. How do we follow him? We follow him by doing what he said. Well, what did he say to do? Well, he said to take no thought what you're going to eat and drink. He said go into the prayer closet, shut the door, or shut off all that's in the appearance realm, on the external realm, or the outside. He said... Many things, in especially the Sermon on the Mount, that we must do. He said, take no thought. What was he talking about? Don't take thought of the left side. Don't think the lower thoughts. Now, notice it also says there in verse 24, unto this day it is yet in Ophrah. Now, Ophrah means dusty, and it's the left side. It's the left side, and listen, the left side will only generate dusty thoughts or dust thoughts or thoughts of the dust realm, if you will. And that's what the devil is. And when you read in Genesis, you know, he's going to walk in the, his belly the rest of his days, which is what? It's, it's just dust realm thinking. It's religiosity. It's not some imp on the outside of us. Jesus said it's not that without that defiles the man, but it's that which is within. In other words, his awareness and his thinking. Now, this altar here that was built there, what does it do? Well, it's built, as it says back there in verse 24, unto this day it is yet an Ophrah of the Aborigianites. Aborigianites, and I know I'm not pronouncing that properly, but it refers to our spirit. It refers to our breath. And you see, spirit brings back all things to our remembrance, leads and guides us into all truth. It conceives the truth within our left side of our feminine principle. It, it quickens the word within us. Our spirit, our, our breath does that, conceives and quickens. It reveals. It shows us the direction to go. So this Abrezerite refers to, to the spirit. It refers to that which guides us as we live from the inside out. And Ophra, meaning dusty, Spirit does what? As spirit conceives and quickens the truth that we bring from our right side to our left side, then all of those dust realm thoughts are going to be just diminished within our life. They're going to be swallowed up, burned up, or however you want to word that. Then verse 25 says, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, unto Gideon, 
take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. Now, remember, Gideon's name means what? To destroy. It means to cut down. So here, Gideon is being told to throw down and cut down something that allegorically has to do with false concepts, false gods, false religions, and people say, well, we don't have any false gods. Oh, yes, we do. We have our God, the devil, our God, sickness, our God, this, and our God, that, that we give power to, when nothing in and itself has any real power except the power we give it. And so there are things within us that as Gideon rises up within us that are going to be cut down, that are going to be burned up, that are going to be done away with. Many false concepts, false gods galore. And so remember, the Midianites refer to what? Refer to strife 